This is a Founding Media podcast. Welcome to another show of Masters and Founders. We have a very special guest here today in Austin, Texas, and it's a household name that uh, I'm sure you've either used the product getting ready to go out or while you're out, used another product of yours. Yeah, hopefully everyone uses their products, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so John Paul DeGioia here, and thank you for being on our show, and sure. thank you for being allowing us in your home. It's such a beautiful home and wonderful day in Austin, Texas. I agree, I love Austin. So I want to start, I'm, looking at um, the different things that you've done. Obviously, you've done so many things. I was like, where do we start? But I want to start with Inception. So going back to your original thought process of actually building a business, what did that look like or how did that feel like for you? Well, building a business goes way back in my life to doing it out of necessity. Uh, when I was seven years old, I was uh, we were, didn't have any money in our family, so we were in East L.A. at the Variety Boys Club. And for 25 cents, we could have credit for wood. And we made these flower boxes about this big, this tall, flat on the bottom, kind of round it with an opening on top out of wood. They'd, sell, they'd give us the wood. We would go ahead and nail the little thing and make it nice, put hooks on it. And my brother and I went out and sold it for 50 cents. Took us two days to sell it. We finally sold it and then uh, paid our debt for the quarter. The other quarter, we bought more wood, went out, and 50 cents was ours on the next sale. Well, back in the early 50s, that was a lot of money. 50 cents for two young kids. My brother was nine, I was seven. I mean, that in those days, to give you an example, candy, candy bars, three for 10 cents. A big Coca-Cola, this was big to us, okay? It was giant to us, five cents. So that was a lot of money for little kids. We thought it was great. So that's kind of how we started. And then at 11 years old, we wanted to help mom out. We finally were able to, my mom was able to put a little teeny down payment on a little house. Mm -hmm. And my brother and I were able to be home with her all the time. We wanted to contribute. So we got morning paper routes. We made about $32, $33 a month delivering the LA Morning Examiner. We gave all the money to my mother. Now. Every time you went out and you got a new customer, you got an extra dollar, plus another, I think it was 50 cents off your paper out. So we made extra money. That was the extra money we would use, for example, go horseback riding, it was a dollar and a quarter to ride a horse for the month or something nice. for one hour. And uh, so we had to build our business ourselves if we wanted more money. So the more enthusiastic we were, the more we went out there and did it. I always worked, I always had some kind of a job, uh, but the real learning experience was selling encyclopedias in my early 20s. That was the greatest experience in the world. It was with Collier's Encyclopedia, no salary, commission only, no leads, only knocking on doors, cold doors. You were in training for four days, no money, had to make a sale because it was commission only, and that was tough. But I believed what they said. The average encyclopedia salesman lasted three days. Yeah. I lasted three and a half years, but I believe what they said. They said that you're to knock on doors and the real successful ones are the ones that'll knock on 50 doors. They're close in your face. Door number 51 will talk to you, but you must be just as enthusiastic on door 51 as you were on 
the first few doors you knocked on. Well, I don't think it was door 50 for me. I think it was door 100 and something for me. But I believed him. I was just as enthusiastic. I wanted to place this great set of books with him. I thought everybody needed it. It was a great product in my mind. And I believed it. Well, it took me over a week before I made my first sale and a lot of doors. And then another week later before I made another one. But I believed it and I stuck by it. So I say to entrepreneurs today from that experience, the two greatest things you could learn and do, number one, make sure your product or your service is the best there is. You do not want to be in the selling business. You want to be in the reorder business. So if your product or service is that good, people want to reorder it or tell somebody else about it if it's a one-time purchase. Well, that's a real success because now you know you're going for longevity where most people make the mistake, what do I have to do just to sell it to somebody? Mm, What do you have to do to make it so good they're going to want to reorder it? The second thing is be prepared for a lot of rejection. If you are, it's not going to hurt you. Like I believe what they said to me when I was 20 years old knocking on doors and it worked. A lot of people didn't believe it. They were discouraged and they left what they were doing. Two of the great successes. And of course in life, Successful people do all the things unsuccessful people don't want to do. When I started Paul Mitchell back in 1980, I knew, because I'd been in the industry before working for some major companies, that you had to have at least a half a million dollars to start it. And I got a backer for Paul Mitchell. The backer pulled out the day we wanted to start the company. I quit everything I did, and I went down there to get the money. There was no money. I found out later on that the backer pulled out. Why the backer pull out? Good example of today and 1980. In 1980, we started a company with $700. I lived in the back of my car. Can you still do it today and have a billion dollar company? Yes, you can. 1980, inflation in the United States was 12.5%. Through 1980 and 1981, unemployment was about 10.5%. Interest rates, if you could get a loan, prime rate was 17%. Unreal. Mm -hmm. And we had no money. There was no internet. You want something printed up, you want to have a printer to typeset your card for you. But yet we were able to start it. In fact, if people want to see that whole story, how to start a business with no money, Go to, it's, either, it's on iTunes, it's on uh, Amazon and several others. It's called Good Fortune the Movie. Get Good Fortune the Movie. Okay. It's a whole history of how you start a business with little to no money. A, a good example for me. And it's my story. I love that. So look, sounds like you had entrepreneurism in your, in your belly out of necessity from seven That's years correct. Ago. And then at some point you went and started working for another company. So I did. You, so how, what did that look like and then how did you jump back into entrepreneurship? Well, I worked for other companies, mm-hmm. including actually the LA Examiner, even though we were entrepreneurish and getting new customers. Uh, I always worked for somebody else. But uh, when I worked for them, I had different experiences. Uh, example in the beauty industry and why I started my own. I worked for Redkin at one time. I was one of their national managers of two divisions of the company. And I went by this room one day where they were they had all these little uh, marmoset monkeys. And I wanted to take them for a walk. They're in a, like a 12 by 12 room, a door with a little window. They can't even see outside. And I said, when do you take them for a walk? I like to walk them outside with you. They said, we don't. I said, you leave them in those little cages? They go, yes. 
Why don't you take them outside? Oh, no, no, we can't. We got to leave them in here. Well, why are we experimenting on them in the first place? We've been making hair care products for humans, not animals, because it makes us look good. We're the scientific approach. I said, that is wrong. I want to complain to upper management. Well, that didn't go over good with management. I was fired two weeks later, wow. right? You know, And then I worked for another company, Fermadel, and the people I worked with were real jerks, the president of the company, and they fired me after one year because they said I wasn't their type of person. Even though while I was there, their sales increased by 50%. Wow. After I left, they went downhill. They were both fired a year later. The other company that hired me, the Institute of Trichology, Tri, I think we, they were a little company, but I believe we doubled or tripled their sales that first year. Mm-hmm. I was fired because I made more money than the owner of the company or the owners of the company. I said, but you only paid me $3,000 a month and a percentage of all new sales I created with you. They said, that was the problem. You made more money off new sales than the president. So we're gonna get a guy to do your job at $12,000 a year and much less of a percentage of the company. And they fired me. They were missing the force for the trees. Uh, exactly. And of course, the company went downhill after that. So I learned a little bit there that you got to treat people really, really right and you should never test on animals. So I thought, you know, why not start my own company? I had a great partner. Paul Mitchell was a buddy of mine. He, did, he was a lousy businessman and I was a lousy hairdresser. I didn't do hair. He didn't do business. The perfect combination. He was a hairdresser because I came from the business world, not the hairdressing world but in the hairdressing world. Let's start it together. That was our motivation. Treat people properly and make sure our products only stayed in salons forever because people always promised they would do that and never did. So did you find that during the time you were working for others, you already had this idea of starting a business or was just something that shaped up over over time. Over Didn't have an idea of starting my own business till after I was fired from Reckon for Medellin Institute of Trichology. It was somewhere after that I decided to start my own business, be a consultant for a while if I could, and then go ahead and start my own business, try and raise the money to do it because I didn't have any money. And then from Paul Mitchell, success, $700 is what you started with, and two years down the road, started actually making money. Is that what? Yep, it was about two years before we could actually pay our bills on time and make a little bit of money. By all business uh, standards, we should have gone bankrupt every day for two years. <laughs> but the entrepreneur in you says, no way. We That's right, no keep way. moving forward. Eventually, we knew no advertising, no nothing, we didn't have the money. So we knew that eventually if we put the product that was good enough that people want to reorder it in enough hands of hairdressers. They're the ones that know what a good product is. And they could recommend to their customer how to keep the hairstyle in between visits with our products. But we knew they were so good they'd reorder. We just had to tell a lot of them about it so they could use it and tell some of their customers. And that was you knocking on doors again. Me knocking on doors, just like I did with books. Yeah. And my partner, Paul Mitchell, pitched in too. We do a little beauty show. He'd go out knocking on doors afterwards. I love the story of you telling about where you went and got a check. You went and got the order from an individual and then went and delivered right around the corner and got the check right there. On the spot. Yeah. (laughs) So would you share that with the audience, how how that happened? Oh, you, we didn't have any money. So I went out knocking door to door at product that I made in the back of the car and they would order. I'd deliver the product right there and get a check from them. And then it took me a couple of weeks in order to get 12 orders and 12 checks. I think it's $27 to maybe the biggest was $130, something like that. And they left the top blank, but I got them. Then I went to a distributor, told them why you should have our new, we only had three products, why they should have our new products, why they were so great. And uh, the big distributor, it was in Los Angeles, said, 
Why do I need you? I have a Lean Curtis, I have all these other big lines, you know, I have every big line. Why do I need you? Why do I want to spend my time promoting a line no one's ever heard of? And you have no advertising budget, no, you guys don't have any money. And I said, I have a good reason for it. And I pulled out 12 checks and put them right in front of them, already filled out. I said, those are your first 12 customers. Here's their orders and their names. They're your checks. I just sold your first 12 for you. He was blown away and said, if I will get an order from you. I said, you got to order at least $2,000. We were really hard up. Mm-hmm. $2,000, you have all of LA and Orange County exclusively. He said, that's not a lot. I said, I know, but we need the money. He goes, okay. And then I said, but you've got to pay. Can you please pay us when the order arrives? He goes, we're Paris Ace Beauty Supply. We pay our bills in 45 days. I said, we really need the money. He goes, okay, I'll give you a break, right? Anyways, we invite him to our 25th anniversary. We've been in business 38 years now. 25th anniversary, he came, and he said, and JP left my office. I thought, God, this guy's really ambitious. I've never seen an offer like this. I got 12 accounts. I know he's gonna come back and work with my salesman until they're all sold. And so anyways, he says, and then I got a call two minutes later from my warehouse man. He said, there's some guy back here loading products on our, on our dock. He wants a $2,000 check. He says, That's, he was just in my office. He laughed his head off, gave me the $2,000, and that got us our start. That's awesome. I love the story, and if you haven't had a chance to do that, go Google, and YouTube, oh, there's tons of YouTube shows that you've Yeah, got. but if you go on there, Good Fortune the Movie, Good Fortune the Movie, it's on iTunes, it's on Amazon, Good Fortune the Movie. Let's jump now into uh, your next company, Patron. Sure. How, how did you have that idea from hair product to Patron? Good question. Uh, it's 1989. There was this gentleman that went bankrupt in the hospitality business that I gave a break to. I I, uh, supported the financial needs to start a company unique in the architectural business. He would go to Mexico and buy pavers and furniture and sell it to architects for their model homes or restaurants. You know, Mexican restaurants and sort their furnitures at a very low price. And one time, Martin was going down there. We were doing okay, but nothing major, barely breaking even. And I said, Martin, when you go down there, let's see what the local people drink, the aristocrats. See if there's a tequila we could drink where you don't have to hold your breath. He goes, okay. So he came back with these two thin bottles, and it was the smoothest I've ever had. Not quite as smooth as Patron, but almost. He says, JP, I met this fellow, Francisco Alcarez down there, chef of all tequilas. He said he could make it smoother. I said, well, God, that'd be great. I said, can we put in recycled bottles? So Martin went down, and he found this bottle. And he says, I know we can make it out of recycled glass. I said, great, it looks great, why not? So I was the bank. I put up uh, enough money to make 1,000 cases. That was 12,000 bottles. When it came back, nobody wanted to buy it. Every liquor distributor we called on said, yeah, it is the best tequila ever, but you're selling it for $37 a bottle retail. I said, we have to because it costs so much to make it. They said the average tequila is 4 or $5. The better ones are maybe 14 for most expensive. No one's going to buy it. No, thank you and you have no big advertising budget. So we found a wine place that only sold wine and talked them into carrying our product. And they did a lousy job. So what did I do? I went knocking door to door, calling my friend Wolfgang Puck at Spago's restaurant. Mm-hmm. He said, JP, this is great tequila. I'll take it and give it to my celebrity friends. Martin went to Ba Cantina, Marina Del Rey, mm-hmm. and uh, they said, yeah, sure, we'll take it. It was door to door. We would go in there by a bartender that we didn't know. Maybe a shot of tequila for four bucks. 
And he, we paid the $4, he took a shot of tequila. You could do that in California. That's where we started it. And then we said, bring up another little glass. They would. And we'd pull out of our briefcases Patron. Wow, that's really smooth tequila. That's Patron. The warehouse, the wine place has it. Would you like to order? Anyway, they did a really bad job. Me and they only sold a couple thousand cases their first year. Mm-hmm. So we went to the big Jim Beam. Jim Beam, big distributor, Jim Beam Alcohol. Yep. They had their own distribution, their own distributors mm-hmm. that sold their product. And oh, a little after a year and a half maybe with Jim Beam, they came to us and said, guys, this is great. Uh, and maybe we'll do 20,000 cases. We said, oh, no, 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 you're doing, I think, about 10,000 cases then. This should be doing 50,000 cases a year. They said, guys, you'll never do more than 20,000 cases. It's the best there is, but it's too expensive, and you can't make it any cheaper. So, guys, that's the most we're ever going to do. We dropped Jim Beam and took out another big distributor, another big liquor company, Seagram's at the time. They took about 40,000, 70,000 cases a year. At that time, we wanted it back. We thought we'd do a better job. So we went to court, and we ended up paying a lot of money to get them out of their distribution agreement, and we did. We took it over ourselves. This little brand that was never supposed to do more than 20,000 cases a year, last year, I'll just tell you last year's figures, the company did over 3 million cases. Wow. Wow. Over 3 million. Wow. And had a value on the, put on the company of $5 billion, $100 million. Well, congratulations on That's that. That's the company that's never supposed to do it. So once again, you get the best product that people want to reorder, mm-hmm. Patron. It was so good. And you didn't get a big hangover unless you drank way too much. Right. It wasn't like a normal tequila. Mm-hmm. And we started in uh, America and the world, ultra-premium tequilas. And I think today there's probably 200 of them out there right now, each one trying to be the next Patron. To the best of my knowledge, I think the closest competitor did close to half a million a year. That's the closest competitor. Big company owns them, right? Well, that compared to over 3 million cases, big difference. Big difference. I'm curious, when you want to bring distribution back to in-house, what was your plan? The plan was to bring it in-house, and we personally went to the larger distributors instead of going through a middleman. Because if we do it ourselves, we'll get more credibility, and we'll be on the streets more than expecting the big guy to do it for us. Mm Well, that's, and that's the thing about entrepreneurism is, is you always going to be thinking. And back to what you were saying earlier is there's people going to reject you, say no, say no, say no. Or they, we do, do things a certain way, and entrepreneur is all about thinking outside the box and oh, yeah. doing it. And be open to change. I know my, uh, my partner, Martin Crowley, when I originally started the company, I started with Martin. And Martin, I let run it because I was too involved with Paul Mitchell. And he always had Playboy models has... Patron with a pl- bottle of Patron or these Playboy models in there. Well, he passed away in 2003. And my vice president of marketing, brilliant guy, Ed Brown, took over as president. He should have been president. And then we made the decision, which was the best decision we could make. We're not selling girls and the way they look. We're selling tequila. Patron became the entire ad and why it was good. The company went like that. And obviously under the management of Ed Brown, mm-hmm. we brought in some of the greatest people. Something else uh, an entrepreneur should realize, there's certain points where you want to bring in people to run your companies that are better than you could ever be at running the company. Was I still the chairman of the board and the figurehead doing all the PR? Of course I was. Mm-hmm. But the day-to-day operations, Ed Brown could do it far better than I could ever do it. He ran and did a damn good job. And that's also super good advice. I, th- I think too many entrepreneurs try to do it all yeah. and keep that control. 
And they get to a point where they're not growing because they're stepping in their own path. Oh, it was the same with Paul Mitchell. I turned it over, oh God, more than a decade ago, every function of the company, the major functions to others to operate because they did it better than I could. President could president it better than I could. Sales, marketing, people are even better than I was at doing it. I still remained as chairman, obviously, in the face of the company and PR and put in my two cents wherever I could, you know, help them with some ideas, things like that. But the real super people ran what they should. And that's the way to do it. Really nice. And you've got a couple more other products I want oh, to talk yeah. about. In the spirits, I can't compete for four and a half more years with tequila. But other things I can't. But I had this going already. It was Bogart Gin. It's the finest gin in the world. And we brought it out. We made a deal with the Bogart family. He used the picture, the name, the signature, and everything. Humphrey Bogart. And you know, Humphrey Bo- drank uh, gin and vodka. Very famous. Okay. And he had a quite of a following. We came out with this little to no advertising and it just took off. In England right now, I think it's in about 4,000 pubs in England. Mm-hmm. And now coming into the United States, it was known as one of the best gins you could ever drink. And then, uh, and that's going really good with our Bogart spirits. Mm-hmm. Another thing I'm doing here is going to be revolutionary is Rock Mobile. R-O-K is the way we spell rock. You go online, see rock, or OK Mobile. It's mobile phone business. An example is this is one of our telephones. Mm-hmm. It's a smartphone. It's made by the same caliber of people that make your high-end phones, your biggest, best ones in the world. It's a smartphone, right? Mm-hmm. There's only a couple of things different about this particular one. We're making unique flip phones, but we're also making very smartphones. Why is ours a little bit different? Number one, it'll be a, called a Rock R-O-K, NASA, N-A-S-A phone, Rock NASA phone. We're finishing that right now. Okay. Where the casing on it, what it's in, will do less damage to your body than imaginable. Cancer does hurt your brain. I love that. Okay, unbelievable. And something else too, which I'll show you here. And as you can see, it's 3D. Yeah. And you don't have glasses on. Yeah, no, it looks wonderful. Is that amazing? It's amazing. Yeah. It's 3D without no, glasses on. I also read where you had a different distribution model on this. Totally uh, different distribution model. Can you talk about that a little you bit? You betcha. Uh, it's twofold. One of our distribution models on this particular phone uh, is to, in fact, we're doing it right now with the country of India. We're Wi Fi 25 of the largest cities in India. Wi Fi them, right? Well, wow. now you have our phone. Mm-hmm. In India, for just a few dollars, you get not only Wi-Fi service, which means that you can call anywhere you want. We're just starting it right now. 25 of the largest cities in India. India is the second largest populated country. Okay. Anyways, so you, got, you have from Wi-Fi, you got all the phone calls you want. Mm-hmm. But also you have a bundle. We have the worldwide patent on bundling on cellular phones. Mm-hmm. You have telemedicine. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, there's a doctor on the phone with you. Wow. That's really no extra cool. charge. Yeah. You get a couple thousand dollars worth of accidental life insurance. Okay. $500 worth of just if you just die, period. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is included in part of the bundling that we have, plus other things, for $5 or less a month. Well, in a country like that, poor people are paying $15 to $20 a month just for telephone calls and texting. Right. All of a sudden, it's $5 a month. For someone that has no money, it's a world changer and more of a service than they could get. And uh, right now in the United States, with two of your biggest groups, they're now uh, out there wanting exclusives on this. And they want the bundling service. But in the United States, we could do more. We could do roadside assistance. Uh, We could do legal service. We could do so many extra things and $100,000 worth of accidental life insurance, $20,000 worth of burial insurance. Uh, tell them so many other things. So we're going to go worldwide with this. 
sounds like the theme and helping everything people. We, exactly, it's helping people and every one of the companies. So highest first, quality. First one, highest quality, but also n no experimenting on animals, yeah. right? Oh, no animal testing. When I had Paul Mitchell, every bottle, not test on animals, test on humans. Right. So there's, there's just these values from way back that when that you, that you said I'm going to do. And, and, and every single of the companies that you've actually worked with, it looks like that's one of the central themes that you start out with, which is an oh, amazing yeah. thing. Is it the greatest quality that you have? Will people benefit by it? Is it realistically priced? And is it something that's the greatest good for the greatest number? And it is. One of the things that I wanted to touch on is you mentioned uh, starting your day and how you have a, a every uh, how you have a thing that you do every morning. So would you talk on how you look at you the universe you. and? Yeah, I get up in the morning and do what most people do go to the bathroom after I get up. Then I, I usually go back to bed for a little bit. And what I will do, I'll say ninety-five percent of the time, occasionally I forget, is I just wake up and when I get back to bed, I just kind of be there, like just be in the room, mm -hmm. try not to think of anything. And if I get distracted for a couple of minutes, I look at the wall, I look at the door, to be present in the room. And most of the time, I'll just say, you know, Creator of Souls, thank you for the not only the great life you've given me, but you know, let me continue to help the planet because you gave me this great life and show me the truth in things. So. Sounds like you're really in touch with the universe and knowing that the universe is going to... Yeah, I've heard you say Trying this before. Be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trying the universe is always going to be there for you. Right and, there. Yeah. Trying to be in present time with no interference. I think one of the things that I've seen and witnessed with many entrepreneurs is they're so busy trying to do one thing that they forget that there's a whole universe that's actually helping you. Oh, yeah. To get there. Open yourself and let the universe... Because if you let the universe flow, it's amazing what it'll do. I could have never started Paul Mitchell without... My experience at Redkid, Fermadol, and the Institute of Trichology, because at each company I learned something different. Mm -hmm. I would have never been able to start unless that happened, unless I was fired. Right. So the universe kind of showed me the way, and I was just open to during rough times where I lived in my car. Mm -hmm. I knew that what I had with Paul Mitchell was such a good thing. Now, in our Paul Mitchell schools, we have about 120 of them in the United States mm -hmm. and a couple overseas. In our Paul Mitchell schools, part of our curriculum is how to give back. All the students pitch in. We underwrite the whole thing, so none of the money goes to doing it. Right. Every dime they raise helps their local community, our nation, the world out, and they learn how to give back in the love of giving. When you give to somebody else without asking anything in return, it's the greatest how you'll ever give. So we say that success and shared is failure, and you learn in our school. Now, what happens to the student? They come out more loving with their families, more loving with the universe, and more of a giving mentality and a mentality of heart where they communicate with people because they've experienced that. That's amazing. Such great leadership. And that's what I love about talking to masters and founders, that it's actually more about, it's more than just money. It's, it, is, it is the purpose of life. It's mm -hmm. creation and also taking care of the earth. You have four Ps that you go by. Uh, positivity, yep. people, yep. planet, mm -hmm. and profit. Yep. I love that. I just thought that was, that, that's, that's just a mantra that you've and had. And some of the profit you shared. You know, right now, we're so, I think we have over 160 different things we have given to. It's way too much. So I get letters every single week. My uh, assistants get them all the time. And uh, it's usually we write back and tell them we're over in a data right now. We can't do everything. You right, know? But right. the ones we do, I think we do pretty good, especially sure. here in Austin. Yeah, for sure. No, you, it shows. Mm. Love everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for being on you're the show. You're very welcome. Uh, this, is, this has been wonderful. And, and for everybody out in the audience, just, again, go back to, the, where, where are other um, 
Where is the movie again? Where can they look, find it? The that? movie is Good Fortune. Mm -hmm. And you can find it now on iTunes. You can find it on Amazon and many other places. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome, really Thank you. Appreciate it.